Revelation chapter 14 in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 14. Very, very awesome chapter. Of course, it's all awesome, but but chapter 14 is critical to understand. Very important to understand. Chapter 14, if you have that, say praise the Lord. <clears throat> have you been getting anything out of the teaching on the book of Revelation? Awesome book. Last book in the Bible. The book of Ultimates. Chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, or Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. Heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now that, that word woman, there's married women, uh, for they are virgins. doesn't mean that they necessarily had to, to stay celibate. We'll talk about that. But anyway, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night. Who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And I looked and behold a white cloud. Upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, 
for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Or really this word temple is the sanctuary. Verse 18, another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you today. Thank you for your inspiration, your awesome word today, God. Before it goes forth, Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be no hindrance to it. And every heart, and every mind, and every spirit would be ready and focused, God, to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. It's good to see that some of you take notes when we're teaching this. I know that sometimes that's hard to do when you're responding to the Word of God, you know. But it's good to take notes. If you got to take notes, you know, don't get caught up just in that. Get into the Word of the Lord and get into the service, which means you've got to do two things at the same time. You've got to take notes and you've got to respond and worship God for his word. So that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? So I'll tell you what you do. Put your pen in your toe and put your paper on the ground. Write notes with your toe and praise the Lord with your mouth and your hands. And you, can, you can do both things at the same time. But it's important that you have an understanding of the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is written primarily to God's bondservants. Showing them the things which must shortly come to pass. And so it's very important, especially in this hour that we understand the book of Revelation. When you come to Revelation 14, you come to a vision where we see the 144,000 standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Let me just back up with you to kind of bring us up to an understanding of the book of Revelation as far as an outline goes. When you study the book of Revelation, it is not in chronological order. If you look at it, now there's some of it that's chronological, but not everything is chronological. And when you study the book of Revelation, if you don't know that, then sometimes you're going to get confused about the timing of events. There is a pattern in prophecy that's followed in Daniel chapter 7, and also in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse of the Lord concerning prophecy, and then the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 7, Matthew 24, the book of Revelation. Here is the outline. You have in Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and Revelation, you have first a general overview of prophecy. For example, it, just looking at the book of Revelation, you have the first 11 chapters in Revelation is a general overview of prophecy. When you get to the 11th chapter, you are at the coming of the Lord and the setting up of the kingdom in chapter 11. You with me here? You read it for yourself and you'll see, of course, we've taught this. So you've already really basically covered the whole tribulation period by the time you get to Revelation 11. You've seen the coming of the Lord. You've seen him setting up the kingdom. You've seen him judge the wicked. You've seen him reward the righteous in Revelation 11. 
So you've got a general overview of prophecy in the first 11 chapters. Then you have the persecution of the saints. Chapter 12 and 13 then begins to go back and deal with specifics that happen within the general overview of prophecy. You with me here? Chapter 12, we've got specifics. And 13, the persecution of the saints. Okay? General overview of prophecy, then the persecution of the saints. Following that, you have the, the coming of the Lord, the destruction of the Antichrist, okay, and the setting up of the kingdom. That is in Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation. All follow that pattern. General overview of prophecy, persecution of the saints, coming of the Lord, destruction of Antichrist, setting up of the kingdom. It also includes the delivering of the righteous. So that's the way it's set out. So when we get to chapter 14 then, we are going and we are looking at events that have already been covered in the general overview of prophecy. But now we're getting into more detail. In chapter 12, we saw the persecution of the saints in chapter 12 and 13. Now, chapter 14, we come to the end of the tribulation period. Okay? And Jesus has already come. This is post-tribulational, chapter 14. It's after the seven-year tribulation period. Revelation 14. Are y'all with me up to this point? And the Lord's going to give us some details here. Now, chapter 14, verse 1. Please look at it again. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. And this is the literal Mount Zion on the earth. And the Bible tells us, And with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So he's standing with this group of believers, these overcomers, called the 144,000. Where is he standing? Mount Zion. Now, go with me please to the book of Romans chapter 11. And let me see if I can give you some details here. Mount Zion, by the way, the literal mountain, is in the city of Jerusalem. It's in downtown Jerusalem. It is the Temple Mount. It is the most holy place in Israel. That's its location. In downtown Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem. Let's say in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, Romans shows us in the Old... Of course, let me teach you some. In the Old Testament, when they talked about Zion, they talked about the literal geographical earthly Mount Zion. But in the New Testament, Paul expands the earthly Mount Zion, the literal Mount Zion, and he expands it to a heavenly Mount Zion, a spiritual Mount Zion. So when you talk about Mount Zion, you're talking about a literal place on the earth. At the same time, you're talking about a spiritual place in the heavenlies. And Paul is the one that expands that. Now, Romans 11, go there. In chapter 11, the Bible tells us, we know right now that Israel 
for the most part, is unbelief. They don't believe in the Messiah. They don't believe that He's come yet, right? And primarily, the church is made up this hour, made up by Gentiles or people out of the nations. But Israel is still in unbelief, and they are hardened. They are blind, okay, to the fact that Jesus has already come. They are still waiting for His first coming, all right? Now, there are some Messianic believers who believe in Jesus, that He's already come. But for the most part, Israel as a nation is in unbelief and their hearts are hardened. But God is not through with the nation of Israel. Now listen very carefully. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 11 in verse 25. He says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness or hardness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. They are going to be hardened and blind until when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. The fullness of the Gentiles is at the end of the tribulation period. Okay, now watch this. We've got this hardness on Israel. And it tells us it's going to stay that way until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now here the Messiah is coming out of Zion. To turn ungodliness from Jacob. And it declares that Israel, all Israel will be saved. All who believe in Israel will be saved. At the conclusion of the fullness of the Gentiles, which is at the completion of the tribulation period. Here he is seen coming. Watch this. This is interesting. In verse 26, the deliverer is coming out of Zion. Go to Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59... In verse 20, this is the scripture that Paul is speaking of or quoting in Romans 11. Notice it says in verse 20, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. Uh-oh. Come to Zion. Where Romans 11 says, At the end of the fullness of the Gentiles, when Jesus comes to save Israel, He's coming out of Zion. So either there is a contradiction in the Word of God, all right, or we need to understand that Paul is expanding Mount Zion. That in Romans 11, he's coming out of heavenly Zion. And in Isaiah 59, he's coming because I, in those Old Testament prophets, they're talking about literal earthly Zion. So in Romans 11, he's coming out of heavenly Zion. In Isaiah 59, he's coming to Earthly Zion. That is awesome, man. So what Paul is, what we're trying to see here is that there is a heavenly Zion, a spiritual Zion, and there's a earthly Zion. One he's coming out of, heavenly Zion, at his second coming, and then one he's coming to, which is earthly, in Jerusalem. 
Isn't that awesome? Now, Hebrews 12 tells us, as the church, we have already come. You are already come to Mount Zion. So, because you are seated in heavenly places already, spiritually, as a church, then you are already spiritually in heavenly places or in Mount Zion. Look at your neighbor and say, hello, heaven. Now look at your neighbor again and say, hello, Mount Zion. Because heaven is not just a geographical location. Heaven is located in Christ. All right, you with me? So when you talk about the Word of God, when you get into New Testament days, then these apostles take literal truths of the Old Testament and bring them into spiritual re revelation and understanding. So the Lord in Isaiah 15, 59 is coming back to literal Zion. But in Romans 11, he's coming out of Zion. Now watch, this is beautiful. In Revelation 14, then we see Jesus standing where? On literal Mount Zion, having come from heavenly Zion. And with him, the 144,000 who have been saved. With me here? which are the first fruits of a larger company of Israel that will be saved. Do you understand these things? And at this point is when Israel, because the fullness of the Gentiles is completed at that time, now Israel recognizes the Messiah. Before he comes, they repent, and they turn to him, and he comes bringing salvation to Israel as they're repenting. Let's look at a few other scriptures. Are you with me? In Hosea, let's go to Hosea 5. It tells us in the Word of God that before the Lord comes back, that Israel must repent. Okay? Which means they will turn from their hard-heartedness and their blindness to the Messiah. And when will that happen? By the end of the tribulation period. Hosea, everybody there. Minor prophet Hosea. Y'all with me up to this point? Okay. Hosea 5, verse 3 through 6, and then verse 15. You got your Bibles. Please turn there and read along with me. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them. They have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. Now we showed you before in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 49, that Ephraim is the fullness of the Gentiles. That Ephraim is a type of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles. So what we have here is God's talking about two companies of people. He's talking about Ephraim, typically, the fullness of the Gentiles, and he's talking about Israel, literal, natural Israel. You with me? Let me read again. He said, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now Ephraim thou committest toward him. So he's not just talking to Israel. He's talking to the church here. He's talking to the fullness of the Gentile company. 
He said, they've committed whoredoms, and Israel is defiled. Both of them, the church and Israel, is messed up. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. Ooh, this is going to be awesome if you can get this this morning. There is going to come a great testing to see who you will follow. There will come a great time of testing where you will have to make a decision. You will have to choose. It's coming upon the earth. For a church, the church in the New Testament, and Israel of the Old Testament. With me? In verse 5, the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity, both of them. Judah also shall fall with them. Verse 6, they shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. But they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. Right. That's where it is right now. Israel is unbelief. They're in hardness. And rebellion against God, all right, as, as a whole. And the church as a whole has played the harlot. But verse 15, watch this, this is key. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. He's going to go back to Mount Zion, heavenly Zion. Until what? They acknowledge their offense. Till they repent and cry out to God. Now, now that's key. That's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. I will go and return to my place. Till they acknowledge their offense. And seek my face. In their affliction. Persecution of the Antichrist. Revelation 12 and 13. And for Israel. The wrath of God. You with me? For the rest of the world, it is the persecution of Antichrist. For Israel, it's the persecution of Antichrist and the wrath of God in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, or the great tribulation. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. Are y'all getting this? Verse 6, chapter 6, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn. That's what they're going to say. They're recognizing who's doing this to them in the tribulation period, who's pouring out his wrath on them. Come, let us return unto the Lord. Notice all capitals. The one God of the Bible, the, the Yot, Hey, Vav, Hey. The Lord. Let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, he will heal us, he hath smitten, he will bind us up. That is the great tribulation period they're talking about. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he'll raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Which means that post-tribulationally, by the time you get to the third day, beyond the tribulation period, they will have repented, returned unto God, and the Lord will be living in their sight. Hence, he's standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 literally upon the earth. Okay? Literally three days after the tribulation period is when this is going to take place. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us. Say, come unto us. 
as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So we see his second coming. We see all first and second coming there. But my focus for you today is his second coming. And so he will not come until Israel repents in the midst of their affliction, their persecution of the Antichrist and this, uh, suffering the wrath of God. He doesn't come back until they repent and cry out to him. And when they do, then he comes, comes back. Are you with me here? And by the time, after they repent, by the time they're gathered to him, by the third day, we see him living in their sight. Okay, y'all with me up to this point? So in Revelation 14, then he's come out of heavenly Zion, Romans 11, as a savior to what? Turn ungodliness from Jacob to redeem Israel, to save them after the times of the Gentiles, at the time of the fullness of the Gentiles, which is at the end of the tribulation period. When they've cried out and repented unto the Lord, then he comes back. Are you with me? And he saves the remnant of believers in natural Israel. He delivers them and also the church because they are a part of the church. You've got to hear that. This 144,000 is not another group separate from the church. This 144,000 is, yes, they are natural Israelites, but they are more than that. They are a remnant who've come out of natural Israel, who have been saved, who have been redeemed, who've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. That's who these people are. They haven't lost their identity as Israelites. But they are still a part of the church, which includes Gentile believers in the tribulation period. They're not separate and apart from the church. They are a part of the church. Totally unbiblical to not see them as a part of the church. You, you with me here up to this point? Okay, give God some praise. And I'm going to try to prove that to you as I go through the word of the Lord. Now... With their repentance and calling out to the Lord, then he comes back, he saves them, turns ungodliness from Jacob at his second coming. He's standing on Mount Zion, but before he gets to Mount Zion, there is movement that you have to see, okay? Now, in chapter 14, we see him standing there in Mount Zion, right? It's, and it's definitely his second coming, because he couldn't be up on the earth if he hadn't come back. But let me show you how he's going to gather Israel, first and foremost, the 144,000, because they're called the first fruits. They're the first ones that are going to be gathered by the Lord at his second coming. They are called first fruits. They are redeemed from among men. Okay? Now, before we see him standing on Mount Zion, we have to back up a little bit in Isaiah 63. Notice in Revelation 14 that he's not sitting on a throne yet. He's standing there. <clears throat> All right. Now, we know Jesus is coming back with the sounding of the great trumpet at the end of the tribulation period. But there's movement that has to be seen. I'm, I'm going to try not to spend a lot of time on this, but just to give you a little idea of what's happening. <clears throat> 
Before you see him standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000, you need to understand there's been some movement that's taken place before this event. In Isaiah 63, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to what? Save. So he's seen coming from Basra, Edom. Okay? Modern day Jordan. He's coming from there. And he's mighty to save. Verse, verse, verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. He says, the Lord answers, I have trodden the winepress alone. So we have the beginning of his wrath seen here. All right? The Bible tells us that he's trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. That means he's the one that's going to pour out. It's his wrath. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is mine in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. So here he's seen coming as the Redeemer and the Savior of Israel. Okay? And he's got his, his garments are splattered with blood because this is the beginning of his wrath. But notice it starts in Basra. It starts in Edom. Hallelujah. And the, tell, the Bible tells us that this is, is, when he's coming back, he's going to redeem Israel. Now, so what I'm trying to show you is, let's go over to Isaiah 16. Back up just with me a little bit. And we're going to see that in this area, modern-day Jordan, there's a place called Petra, which is adjacent to Basra. Okay? It is called Sila. Sila. Sila is adjacent to Basra in modern-day Jordan. Now, it says in chapter 16, Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Sila. That word means Petra. To the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. Now look. The 144,000 have escaped from Jerusalem. And they fled over into Jordan to a place called Selah or Petra. And for Revelation 12 says. They are nourished for 1260 days. Or the last three and a half years of the great tribulation. The 144,000 are there protected by God in the wilderness. Revelation 12 tells you that. And so the Bible says, watch this. He, he says, again, let me read verse 1. Send you the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. For it shall be... That as a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel, and this is, of course, modern Jordan. Take counsel, execute judgment, make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. Hide the outcast. Be not him that wandereth. 
Let my outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a cover to them from the face of the spoiler. For the extortioner is at an end. The spoiler ceaseth. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. So what we see here, then God says, He has prepared a place called Selah in Moab, or modern-day Jordan, which is where Basra is located. Basra literally means a fold. And so He is... He's got these 144,000. They are seen as outcasts. He is protecting them for 1260 days during the time of the Antichrist persecution and the time he's pouring out his wrath on Israel. That's where the 144,000 are located. So Isaiah chapter 63 shows us Jesus coming back. And when he comes, he's gathered. What is he doing? He's going to Basra. He's going to go. He's going to gather the 144,000 that are in Petra in modern day Jordan. Are you with me? He's moving here with them. All right? You with me up to this point? And eventually, of course, we see in this chapter that even Jordan are, are going to come and receive the Lamb uh, and be saved. Jordan themselves. I'm talking about modern-day Jordan. Okay. Now, are you with me up to this place? See, he doesn't, what I'm trying to get across to you is he doesn't immediately just come straight down and stand on Mount Zion in the middle of Jerusalem. At his second coming, when he sounds his trumpet, he descends. But when he comes, he starts out over in Basra, modern-day Jordan. He gathers the outcast, the 144,000. He gathers them up. He's taking them with him as he's journeying towards Jerusalem. Now, after he gathers the 144,000 and whatever else outcasts of, of Israel that are believers that have fled to that place... He then goes to, watch this, go to, to Zechariah 12. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. So after he gathers the outcasts out of Petra in Jordan, what are you with me? As he's moving through Basra, etc. Then he goes from the eastern, he moves into the eastern side of the mountains of Judah. And there are clans of, of, of Judah that are in those mountains. They have fled to the mountains. And he then gathers them up in the, out of the mountains of Judah. And so we've got the 144,000 and those who are protected in, in Basra, Selah, Petra. Modern-day Jordan. And then we see him in this verse here. He's gathering the clans of Judah. The believers that are in Judah. Okay? And then from there he's going to make his way to Jerusalem. And stand on the mount called Mount Zion. Okay? See, we've got to keep in mind these things because there's more movement, I think, than we realize. All right. Okay, then he says, The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. You got it? Clans of Judah he's going to gather. And then in verse 10, uh, let me just go on and read some more. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now we're talking about Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. 
Thou will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of, say with me, Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourning for his only son, and she, he shall be in bitterness for him, and one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Got it? So we see the events then exactly the way he's going to come. Basra gathers elect out of Petra, moves from there into the, to the mountains of Judah, gathers the believers out of the mountains of Judah, then he goes from there straight to Jerusalem. And he's coming back what? To deliver and save Israel. All right? From the persecution, from the affliction, and from the wrath that's poured out, been poured out upon them. Now at this point I'm talking about natural Israel. I'm talking about the remnant of believers out of them. Okay? Do you understand? Praise God. So go to Revelation 14 then. And at this point, Jesus has come back. He's made his journey from Basra. He's gathered the elect out of Petra, Selah, out of Jordan. Are you with me? He's gone through the mountains of Judah, gathered those people out of there. He's made his way to Jerusalem. And in the 14th chapter of Revelation, he is now standing on Mount Zion. When you see the Lamb standing, it is showing you that he's about ready to pour out his wrath. He's not sitting here. He's standing. He's ready to go to war. He's ready to fight. And he's standing with who? The 144,000 that he's just gathered out of Basra, out of Petra. He's standing now with them in Jerusalem on the mountain called Mount Zion. Now, at this point, he hasn't set up his kingdom yet. Okay? So we don't see him enthroned here. But Isaiah 2 says that, and I'm not going to give you all the time frames here, but Isaiah 2, it tells us after his coming, when he sets up his kingdom, that Mount Zion shall be raised above the mountains. It will be the place of his throne. You with me here? Zion in the word of God is a picture of his presence and revelation from God. And so... This mountain's going to be lifted up and Israel's going to flow into it. It's the place of his throne. It's the place of his kingdom. It's the place of his sanctuary. And Israel will flow up to that. And the nations will flow up to that mountain. Isaiah 2 talked about it. And Isaiah 2 says it's going to be lifted up above the mountains. And it's going to be so high that you can look to the north where the battle of Armageddon took place. To the north of that. And you can see the bodies of the corpses that are on fire. You can see them from a distance as the fire of their torment ascends up. Isaiah 65 begins to talk about that. And then you can look to the south and you can see the land of Edom on fire over there because they did not help their brother Israel, all right? And God declares judgment on Edom. You with me here? So it's going to be an awesome thing. And ultimately what I'm saying is we see him standing on Mount Zion here. But in the future as you move through prophecy, you're going to see that Mount Zion is going to be the place of his sanctuary. It's going to be the place of his throne. It's the place of revelation and the place of his rulership. It's where he meets out judgment. It's where the Israelites gather before him. It's where the Gentiles gather before him. Are you with me here? Psalm 2 tells you that. Mount Zion. The Lord said, I have set my king on Mount Zion. So it's going to be the place of the king's throne. You with me here? 
So this is an awesome chapter. It is the chapter where you see the deliverance of God's people with the decree upon the wicked along with the following the decree, the destruction of the wicked. The deliverance of God's people, the decree on the wicked, and the destruction of the wicked in this chapter following his second coming. This is awesome. If we get this, and I've asked God to help me this morning to give you what I need to give you. If we get this, it will change your life. Because he has come from Mount Zion, and I've already showed you the movement. Now he's standing on literal earthly Zion with the redeemed, the first fruits of Israel. The first ones that are saved in the tribulation period. The first fruits of those who will go into the kingdom with the Lord. Are you with me here? So this is definitely his second coming. And it says that he's standing on Mount Zion and with him 140 and 4,000. We have already seen them in Revelation chapter 7. They are 12,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's just leave it literal right now. Hello. Let's leave it literal right now. 12 literal tribes, 12,000 out of those tribes a literal 144,000, a remnant who have been birthed out of Israel, the woman, who have been saved. And they are standing with the Lord on Mount Zion. Are you with me? Glory. Having his father's name written in their forehead. These people are overcomers. And what God is trying to show you here is that if you wonder if the church is going to make it, Because he's already showed you Revelation 12, the persecution. He shows you in Revelation 13, he shows you a a sea beast. He shows you a land beast, Antichrist and a false prophet and the image of the beast. And he says, if you got a question in your your mind as to whether or not the church is going to make it through that great tribulation period, God is saying, look, they made it. I sealed them, I protected them, and they are with me standing on Mount Zion. Now, you've got to understand this, that the Hebrew letter Nun is the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it stands over the chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. The Hebrew letter Nun has two forms. It has a form. One form looks like this. If it's at the first part of the word, it looks like this. If it's in the middle of the latter part of the word, it's called a final form, and it's seen standing up. So what we see in Revelation 14 is we see a company of people who have been through it. They've had setbacks. They've had difficulties. They've had to overcome the Antichrist. They've had to overcome the false prophet. They've had to overcome world governments. They've had to overcome the mark of the beast. Are you with me? And so they've been through some setbacks. They've been through some stuff. But here we see them, the final form of the noon, the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, standing with the Lord God. And so let me just give you some practical application, church. Some of you have been through some stuff. All of us have been through some stuff. Every one of us, we've, been, we've had some setbacks. But you know what? Nevertheless, this 144,000 continue to follow the Lord whithersoever he goes. It didn't matter. The setbacks are going to come. The battles are going to be there. But keep following the Lord. And if you do, eventually you shall arise and you will stand with the Lamb. So God wants you to see here the victory of the church. 
The victory of the righteous. The victory of those that is possible, man. Now, come on. Are you here today? And these people are overcomers. They are the overcomers. You have to be an overcomer. We can make it if we overcome. If you think that once you start living for God, there's not going to be any battle struggle against the Antichrist, against world government. The beast wants to crush the church. World government wants to crush the church. World religion wants to crush the church. But the church is going to stand up with the Lamb. God is showing you what's going to happen to those people who are faithful to Him no matter what. Who follow Him no matter what they face. No matter what their setbacks are. And eventually you will stand. You will arise. Now that's a powerful, powerful truth right there. And so they are standing there. Now J.R. Church is the one who has figured this out as far as the 14th letter placed on the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. And he's done an awesome work as far as determining what letters go over certain chapters in the Bible. And so I want to give him credit for that. But I want you to understand that you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have problems, man. But you've got to follow the Lord. Because remember, these, these chapters here, Revelation 13 verse 10 tells us that it's given to us. Why? So that we would be patient. Because when you get in the tribulation period, church, and you're fighting the Antichrist and the lies of the Antichrist that are in that time, and you've got, come on, and you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast, you're going to have to have patience, man. And it's for 42 months, three and a half years, the great tribulation period. You're going to have to be patient when all that stuff's going on around you. You're going to have to stay patient and endure. Say endure. The word patience means endure. God's calling the church to endure. And he's showing those people who endure, who are patient to the end. And the end is day of the Lord. Are you with me here? Oh, this is powerful, man. Give God some praise. So they made it. They were sealed in Revelation chapter 7. Same company, same people, different day. They were sealed. We talked about the timing of their sealing before, either in the middle of the tribulation period or right here at the very end of the tribulation period. They're sealed, but they are sealed for protection because they belong to God. Are you with me here? Give God some praise. <laughs> but they made it. Heavy. It's awesome. See, I, what, I'm at, what excites me is there's nothing religious about any of this stuff. And God is not offering you a religion of any flavor. What he's offering to you is a real walk with him. And he understands what you've got to overcome. But you can overcome. And you will be victorious. Okay, watch. They're standing with him now. The Bible says, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. Now, we've got a voice from heaven now. Watch. The Lord's on the earth. Voice from heaven. The voice of many waters. And as the voice of a great thunder. I heard the voice of harpers harping with their hearts. So what we have, of course, is the second coming of the Lord. And now he's made his way to Zion. He's standing on Mount Zion with 144,000 at the end of the tribulation period. Right? Okay. We hear this song in the heavens. We got the harpers harping in the heavens. In verse 3 it says, They sung as it were a new song before the throne. And before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 
which were redeemed, say redeemed, redeemed from the earth. They're worshiping and they're celebrating the victory over the Antichrist, over the beast, the false prophet, and world government and world religion. They're celebrating the victory, man. They're singing a new song. And this new song is tied to the kingdom in the word of God. Watch this. So again, this is at the end of tribulation. Uh, these are they which are not defiled with women. Now, I'm going to just deal with the new song. Go with me back to Revelation 5. <clears throat> Watch this. Revelation 5. We see in chapter 5, we see uh, a scroll in the hand of the Lord, the one that's sitting on the throne in the heavens, before the seals are opened. All right? The first part of chapter 5. But chapter 5 doesn't leave you at the beginning of the tribulation period before the seals are opened. It takes you all the way to the end of the tribulation period after all the seals have been opened. And this is what you see in chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song. Watch. Saying thou art worthy to take the book. To open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So now we see that it's not just 144,000, but we see a redeemed company out of all nations singing the new song. We see the 144,000 singing a new song. And then we see these people here singing a new song. But they're not just Israel. They're not just natural Israel. They're not just those that have been birthed out of Israel. They've come out of all nations. In all tongues. Hello, somebody. So this 144,000 is just a picture of a larger company of overcomers. Hello. So you've got to remember that numbers in the Bible are symbolic. And here they're singing the new song. And by the way, this is at the end of the tribulation period that we see in Revelation 5 here. The Bible says this. Watch this. Okay. And hast made us into our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the beasts and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, honor, glory, power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and of the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Give God some praise. So Revelation 5, they're singing the same song. Revelation chapter 7. Watch this. Revelation chapter 7 in verse 9. After this, after the sealing of the 144,000 in Revelation 7. After this, I beheld and a great multitude which no man could number. Of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. 
And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders of the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom. Here we go again. Thanksgiving, honor, power, might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, Who are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. So we see the people who sing in the new song are people who have come out of the great tribulation. They've made it through. Come on, are you here? The Bible tells us this. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Say servants. There are the bond servants here. They serve Him day and night in His sanctuary. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So whether you be in Revelation 5 beginning with verse 9 or Revelation chapter 7 beginning with verse 9 or Revelation chapter 14 talking about the new song here. It's all at the end of the tribulation period. And this overcoming company is seen worshiping the Lamb. In Revelation 15, verse uh, 2, we see it again. And I saw, as it were, the sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Amen. Give God some praise. So I just did that because I wanted you to see the general overview of prophecy, Revelation 1 through 11. I wanted you to see the same events in chapter 12, 13, and 14 overlaying it. Because God's going back and giving you more detail now about what He's already told you before. Ooh, Lord God. He's an awesome God. And it is interesting to me that after the seal judgments in chapter 7, you see the overcomers. And now we see after the trumpet judgments, we see the overcomers again in chapter 14. And then after the seven vile judgments that's going to come in the future, we see the overcomers again. They're called the Jerusalem of God. So every seven you see the overcomer pictured again. God doesn't want you to miss the overcomers. Whether it be in the 7th chapter, the 14th chapter, or the 21st chapter, God wants you to, wants you to see an overcoming, overcoming company of believers. <laughs> Made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers who are in the church. This is good. Give God some praise. Now the question would be asked though then in chapter 14 then who are these singers in the heavens in, in the heavenly Zion that sing in a song up there that the 144,000 learn how to sing? I'm trying to show you the 144,000 is a symbolic number. But I'm giving you the literal and then I'm going to give you, I'm giving you the vast spiritual application of it. Okay? But look at this. Oh, this is good. I said this is good. Now, now, now. Ooh, this is good, man. Well, it, I don't know for sure who these people are. Are you with me here? It may be that at the coming of the Lord here, that that's when he's taking his church. 
But it doesn't sound right. Because if he's come back for the church, we would have come back with him. So I'm not really altogether sure who these, who are singing this song in the heaven. If it's the beast, the living creatures around the throne, angels or who it is. But they are singing the song and the 144,000 are able to discern it. And they're able to sing it too. Now, if you're pre-tribulational, you will say that this is the church singing to the 144,000. But, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to be pre-tribulation period. It could be that Jesus has come back post-tribulation, taking the church up there, put them in the heavens, and that the church is up there singing back to the 144,000 who are Israel upon the earth because their promise is earthly and the church's promise is heavenly. But I'm just giving you that possibility. Just hang in here. But I'm going to show you what I really think. <laughs> what I really believe. I don't know the answer altogether, all right? Now hang with me here, okay? Say praise the Lord, somebody. Lord. <laughs> now the Bible says who these 144,000 are. They are redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women. Hallelujah. Not defiled with women. Doesn't mean that they were celibates necessarily. I got one translation, man. They, they emphatically declare that these men, you know, what makes them virgins is because they have never been married and that's what has kept them from being defiled. Now, all you ladies who are married, aren't you glad to know that you defiled your husband when you got married to him? <laughs> now, my point is this. I don't necessarily believe that these men are not defiled because they've never been married and had sexual intercourse. What keeps them undefiled is they have not been married or related to or had any relationships to married women they haven't been caught up in adultery from a natural point of view because the word woman there means married woman or adulteresses but this also could be just a picture of spiritual purity that they are faithful to the lamb they are faithful to God and they have not given themselves into the harlot church They've come out of paganism. They, they are preaching to Israel. Not to the world. To evangelize the world. But they are preaching the word to Israel. And they have not allowed themselves to be sucked into the paganism. Of false women. Or false churches. That God is raising up a church in this hour. That are like 144,000. Who are pure in their relationship. They are faithful to the Lord. They got his, their name, his name in their forehead. Which means they are his bride. They are called by his name. And they are faithful to him. They're, they're not sucked into false church systems. They preach against the paganisms of the pagan holidays of the hour. They preach against the pagan holiday church system. And they're calling people... As a man-child overcoming company, they are calling people out of the false into the true. And they're saying, don't follow the false Christ. Don't believe his lie. Don't take his mark. There's one God and his name is Jesus. Follow him. He's the Messiah. And he's the one that's died for you. And come out of that pagan Babylonian system. They've not defiled themselves with false church systems. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. 
He says, he goes on, he says, he says, for their virgins, say virgins. Again, this is spiritual purity here, I believe. Not necessarily physical, hallelujah. I don't don't believe the Bible preaches that you have to be celibate. Come on. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. And then put it this way, come hell or high water, they're going to follow him. Doesn't matter what setback, doesn't matter what problem, doesn't matter what difficulty, man. Wherever he goes, they follow. If he's coming from Basra, he's moving from Basra and gathering them there. If he goes over to the mountains of Judah and goes up from there to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, wherever he goes. If he's treading the wine press, come on somebody. If he's got his garments sprinkled with blood, the 144,000 are with him. This overcoming company, hallelujah. They are faithful servants. These are the servants of the Lord, bond servants. Isaiah 65 talks about the servants of the Lord. Let me just tell you what a servant is. A bond servant in the book of Revelation is our true believers. Bond servants. Not people who talk the talk, but people who live it. They're bond servants. They're real. They're genuine. They're not just confessors. They're not just church-going people. They've got the goods, man. They've got the goods. They live it. No matter what they go through, they're still faithful to the Lamb. See, we got a lot of people right now, when this great test hits this world, we got a lot of people right now that go to church for a lot of reasons because maybe their family goes there or maybe it's just the thing to do or in America the popular thing to do. But there's coming a time when all those people who are playing the part are going to apostatize and fall away and join the Antichrist when the great test hits the whole world. It's going to test everybody. But these people here are bond servants. Man, they are faithful. They're with God. They're not just professors. They're just not church people. They're for real. Hallelujah. So in the word in the book of Revelation, we talk about a bond servant. You're talking about true believers. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The elect of God, the true believers, the elect of God, whether they be Jew or Gentile in the church, they are the elect of God who are faithful and who are bond servants to the very end of time. No matter what they face, they'll overcome the devil, the dragon, they overcome the beast, the false prophet, all of that, they overcome it all. You got to hear this. I know some of you don't think you're going to be there. Hallelujah. But you know what I believe. And I believe 100% that we're going to be there. I don't believe 99%. I believe 100%. That if we are in the days of this final seven-year tribulation, we're going to be there. I believe we are. Hallelujah. Now, hello, somebody. Now, the Bible says they're singing this song. They're not defiled with women for their virtue. These are they which follow the Lamb with us where we go. These are redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. The first fruits of Israel that are going to be going into the kingdom age. Are you with me here? First fruits. All right. Their mouths were, in their mouths was found no guile, no bitterness, for they are without fault before the throne of God. They made it to the throne room. They didn't stay in the outer court. They didn't stay in the holy place. They made it all the way to the throne. They're overcomers. Now, let me, let me show you this. Okay, they got the name of God in their foreheads, right? 
Go to Revelation 3. Let me show you that they are definitely a part of the church. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> Man, I feel God here. Uh, am, I, am I going slow enough, though, so that you can follow what's happening? <clears throat> He's writing here to the church in Philadelphia. In verse 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. And even in, the, in chapter 13, verse 10, he talked about having patience or endurance. In Revelation 14, in this very chapter we're studying, he talks about the patience of the saints. Now, Revelation chapter 3, way back over here talking to the church in Philadelphia, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my endurance, or the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. This angel, we're going to see an angel in Revelation 14 fly in the midst of heaven declaring the hour of God's judgment. So what this church is promised to be protected from because they've been patient and have endured to the end is they won't experience the wrath of God at the end of the tribulation period. His judgment, that one hour judgment. Are you with me? Come on, listen, listen. Here we go. He says in verse 10, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. He's not talking about pre-tribulation. He's not saying, I'm going to keep you out of tribulation. He's not saying, I'm going to keep you out of persecution. That's not what he's saying. He said, I'm going to keep you from the hour. And it jumped out, of me, out to me on Revelation 14 when the angel flies in the midst of heaven and says, the hour of his judgment has come. And that's post-tribulational. And that's what he's going to keep them from. That's what he's going to protect us from. Are you getting this? He didn't say that we're going to be protected from the tribulation or persecution. He said we will be protected from his wrath. His wrath. The day of the Lord, his wrath. That's what he's going to protect. And the way he does it is a seal. A seal of protection. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which you read into that pre-trib right there. If, you, if you're a pre-trib, you have to read pre-trib into that because there's nothing about pre-tribulation in the whole book of Revelation as far as the church going out before the, pre, the, rep, the tribulation starts. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. Now watch this. It's going to test them. Who? The whole world. It's his worldwide wrath. It's going to test the whole world. Are you with me here? There is going to be a test in the tribulation period to determine who you follow. Either you're going to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, or you're going to follow the Antichrist. Everybody, including this preacher, including you, are going to be tested. I don't have time, but Revelation chapter 2 talks about the church of Thyatira, and it talks about a servant, a true believer, who had been defiled or seduced by Jezebel's doctrine. I'm talking about a true believer. that was affected by false doctrine. And the Lord says to this servant, He said, I'm going to cast you into the great tribulation. 
I'm going to put you in the tribulation period to test you, to try you, to see if you're a real bond servant or not. You have given yourself to that false teaching. But I, but I know that you're a servant. I want to just make sure we're going to see where you stand. Are you here right now? And so it's a test that's going to come upon the whole world. All the servants are going to be tested. God's servants. That's why there's going to have to be patience. There's going to have to be endurance. Until when? To the coming of the Lord. He's writing to the church here. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. And so we see right here, if you read Revelation 2, we see true servants cast into the great tribulation for testing. See, you've got true believers in the great tribulation period. You've got unbelievers in the great tribulation. You've got professing believers in the tribulation period. Come on. And all the whole thing is going to be tested. And that testing is going to take place until his what? His coming. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now watch this. Here we go. Watch. Here's the promise. Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, which new, is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so specifically, Revelation 3, the church of Philadelphia, specifically speaks to the 144,000. The overcomers. Are, are you getting this? I said, are you getting this? Hallelujah. Man. I, you know what God's trying to do? He gave the book of Revelation to that early church and the church in the future to get you prepared. We are preaching this book to this church. And whoever gets these messages. So that people will get prepared. Because they're going to be tested. A testing that the world has never seen. And it's going to be a worldwide testing. But we see the 144,000. They are the overcomers man. They chose to follow the lamb. Whithersoever he goes. And so they're standing with him. All right. Are you with me? So we, let me just give the chronology here. The trumpet sounded. The Lord has come back. He's come from Basra, Judah, over Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Now he's standing here. This is all before the battle of Armageddon. All right. And this is before, just, just before the outpouring of the bowls of wrath at the end of the tribulation period that you see him standing. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, all right. Now, listen. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, here's, watch what he does with this. Verse 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Now, between verse, okay, verse 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. The hour of His judgment is come. 
and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the waters. Now watch. What you have here then is an angel flying in the midst of heaven. One translation says an eagle. It's a messenger. I don't know if this is a literal angel or what. Most likely it is. And it's flying in the midst of the heavens. And it's preaching the eternal gospel. And declaring that the hour of his judgment is come. It's here right now. Then why does God send this angel to fly at the end of the tribulation period? And not at the middle or the first part. Why does he send this angel flying in the midst of the heavens here. Preaching the gospel at the end. Because he's encouraging the righteous to stay faithful to the end. It is a warning to the wicked. But more than that, it is an exhortation and an encouragement to the righteous to stay faithful to the end. Are y'all hearing this? All right, now let me explain to you what's happening. Got these 144,000 standing with him at his second coming. Now we see these angels flying in the midst of the heavens, all right? What we have is, between verses 5 and 6, in that general time frame, the bowls of wrath are beginning to be poured out. Revelation 15 and 16 fit right in here at the time that this angel goes forth and says the hour of his judgment has come. Because the next angel flies and says Babylon is fallen. And Babylon doesn't fall until the 16th chapter in, in one of the, the vows, judgment. So the bowls are already being poured out here. You with me here? And the 144,000 are protected. They're sealed. So they're not burned up by the wrath that's being poured out. Nor is the church burned up. Because at the coming of the Lord, the sounding of the trumpet, they've put on glorified bodies. So this is what I believe. Two possibilities. When he comes, he takes us up and puts us in heaven. Or he comes and leaves us on the earth with 144,000. But he glorifies us so that we are not burned up by the bowls of wrath. And I'm going to show you in this same chapter the timing of the rapture. Verse chapter 14. So here we are. He's standing on Mount Zion with 144,000. On the earth, they haven't been raptured into the heavens. The bowls of wrath are being poured out. An angel flies in the midst of the heaven, preaching the everlasting gospel, and the hour of his judgment is come. Matthew 24 goes there. Go there. Let's look at this. Let's look at the connection here in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. All right. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Matthew 24, again, the same principle as follow the general overview. A prophecy, then the persecution of the church, the coming of the Lord, destruction of Antichrist, deliverance of the people of God, the setting up of the kingdom. Follows the same thing. Verse 14. Now, when you, verses 1 through 14 give you the general overview of prophecy. When you get to verse 14, you're at the end of the tribulation period. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. The end. What is the end? The end of the age. 
And the end of the age, Matthew 13 says, it's when God comes back and judges the wicked and rewards the righteous. It is connected with the day of the Lord, which is after the tribulation period. So we're in the, when we see Jesus standing on Mount Zion, you are beyond the tribulation period. You are in a 30-day period Daniel talked about that was beyond the tribulation period. Come on, somebody. He's standing there with 144,000 of the overcomers. The, the church has been glorified because the trumpet has been sounded. Now he's going to pour out his wrath, uh, the bowls of wrath, 15 and 16. But he sends an angel to preach the everlasting gospel. And it's connected with what? It's after the persecution and connected with the end of the age or with the day of the Lord. So when this angel preaches the everlasting gospel it is the same gospel of the kingdom the kingdom is going to be set up the kingdom is going to be established and it's connected with the post-tribulational coming of the lord and the day of the lord that follows that you see that and so this angel is flying right there at the end and preaching the gospel not so much to warn the wicked but to encourage the righteous to be patient, to endure, to overcome. Now watch. Again, let me read to you. Okay. Bowls wrath being poured out. This angel flies, preached the everlasting gospel, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. What's he preaching? Fear God. See, in churches today, they'll tell you, don't preach fear. Nobody wants to hear about judgment. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be made afraid. Are you crazy? That's a part of the gospel. And if you're a preacher and you stand up and you say that to your church, you are nigh apostasy. Because God sends a mighty angel in the heavens and he tells, he says, fear God, reverence God, respect the Lord. I'm telling you what has hit our churches. Thank you, brother. What has hit our churches is people who are psychologists who stand behind pulpits and don't preach the word of God anymore. And when God preaches the gospel, it is also involving fear God, honey. Fear God. Follow the Lord. You know why you need to fear God? Because at that time, the Antichrist is saying this. If you follow him, I'm going to kill you. So you're either going to fear the Antichrist and join with him. Or you're going to fear God and follow him. The Antichrist says, if you serve God, I'm going to kill you. God says, if you serve Antichrist, I'm going to kill you. And it's a test that's going to come upon the whole world. Will you follow the gospel? Will you follow the Lord? Or will you follow the Antichrist and have a temporary deliverance? Or will you follow the Lord and have eternal life? It's a test, man. It's a test. That's going to come upon the whole world. Now watch. Fear God and give glory to Him. 
Let me just tell everybody here today. All of us need to learn how to give him glory. We all need to respect him, reverence him, fear him. Come on. I need to have fear of God in my life, man. You need to fear God. And you need to give him glory, worship him, give him glory. With your life, with your words. Now watch, why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. And the gospel of the kingdom is connected with the message of judgment. When I preached in the church, I can preach redemption and salvation and the mercy and the grace of God. But when you start moving in kingdom operation, then you start declaring God's judgment. You go after the old antichrist, old Adam nature. Come on, church. You go after sin. When you, when you start moving in kingdom type uh, movements of God, you're declaring the judgments of God. You're telling people to fear God. John did that at the beginning of his ministry. Now watch. Remember, because he's standing there, he's ready to go to war, man. For the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him that made heaven. Don't worship the Antichrist. Don't worship his image. Don't take his mark. Worship him that made heaven. This earth here is going to pass away. What the Antichrist is offering you is a lie. It's temporary. Don't listen to it. Don't be deceived by him. This worship the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Are y'all hearing this word today? Give God some praise. <clears throat> And so the bows of wrath are pulled out, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Go to Revelation 16. Let me show you where this happens. Verse 15, between the sixth and seventh seal, Jesus still hasn't come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord coming of the Lord, between the sixth and seventh seal. I'm talking about as the day of the Lord coming. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked. He says, Keep your garments. Lest you walk naked and they see his shame. He gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial. Say seventh angel. Poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the sanctuary of heaven from the throne saying it is done. And there were voices, thunders, lightnings. There was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. You see that? Babylon doesn't fall until after the seventh vial is poured out. But here in Revelation 14, we have the announcement that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. This chapter's moving. It's... Are y'all with me here? Now, what I want you to see is that at this time, I believe the church is still on the earth. I believe that she's glorified so that the vows of wrath are not going to burn her up. A perfect example of this is Joshua chapter 6. We have the city of Jericho compassed about seven times on the seventh day. Lays over to the seventh year of the tribulation period. When they watch, march around the city on the seventh day, they sound the trumpet. It's 
The Bible calls it a long blast. So when Jesus comes back, he comes back. And when he sounds that trumpet, that trumpet falls over a period of days. The church is glorified. There's a resurrection that takes place. All right, you hear? We're glorified still upon the earth. Whenever they march around, that trumpet sounds, that seventh trumpet sounds. The cities collapse. They fall. The nations fall. Joshua 6. And then the city is burned with fire. Then and only then is Ahab taken out of the city. And Ahab, or, I'm talking about, not, not Ahab. Uh, what's her name? Rahab, yeah. We've got to add an R. <laughs> Then Rahab is taken out of the city. But it's after the fall of Jericho. It's after the trumpet is sounded. It's after the city is burned. That she is then taken along with her family. So I'm telling you what I believe that God's going to do. He's going to protect his church in it. And when he says he, he will deliver us, we won't go through his wrath. What he means he's going to protect us in his wrath. He's going to keep us from that hour. Glorified. But notice when Babylon falls, chapter 16, after the seventh vow, post-tribulational, and then chapter 18, we see it again. And chapter 18, the fall of Babylon precedes the marriage of the Lamb. Because chapter 19, we see the marriage of the Lamb. And then we see Armageddon. So I'm telling you, that the church is glorified upon the earth when the bowls of wrath are poured out like Rahab was taken. All right, are you with me here? After Babylon falls, marriage supper of the Lamb is seen in heaven and then the battle of Armageddon when we come back with him. That's the timing of the rapture. Say praise the Lord somebody. All right, so you, you got it? You got it? We got it announced here that Babylon has fallen. But chapter 16, she doesn't actually fall until after the seventh vial. We'll go to chapter 18, 17 and 18. We talk about a mystery Babylon in chapter 17. We talk about another Babylon in chapter 18. And in chapter 19, we have the marriage of the Lamb in the heavens. So the marriage of the Lamb in the heavens doesn't take place until after the fall of Babylon. Let me keep going. I, I don't have, I'm already out of time, but I'm going to finish this. I made up my mind. I worked too hard on this yesterday not to finish this today, man. I asked God, I said, God, you got to help me today. It was too much. But I, you need to know this is very, very important for you to understand. Are y'all getting this? It's not about me. It's about God's word. Watch this. Another angel flying in the heavens. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And now we have a third angel flying, saying without voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same should drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Number one, said, okay, you want to follow the Antichrist and you want to take his mark to get temporary protection so you don't lose your head. <laughs> then if you serve the Antichrist so the Antichrist won't kill you, he says, and you take his mark, then you will experience my wrath 
And not only will you experience my wrath, you will burn in hell. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Antichrist or Jesus. Choose the Lord, be killed by Antichrist. Choose Antichrist, be killed by God. If any man worship the beast's image, receive his market for it, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. The decision is yours. The choice is yours. This is what you get if you choose me. And this is what you get if you choose Antichrist. Here's your decision. Here's your test. Here's your trial. Here's your endurance. Here's your patience. Here's what you got to overcome. Here's what you got to make it to the end of. I'm telling you, and some of you are still, you're still pre-trib in your spirit. You're, you're still pre-trib in your mind. That's okay. I mean, whatever. You don't have to believe what I believe if you don't want to. But I'm going to preach the word of God. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to show you. Now watch this. This is beautiful because now. Now let, let me explain something to you. He's warning the earth. He's preaching the gospel and warning the earth as to what's going to happen. The deliverance of the righteous, the declaration upon the wicked, and then the destruction of the wicked. The results of their decisions. Now what you need to understand is by the time you get to the end of the tribulation period when this message is preached by that angel, is that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about some people who it will be impossible for them to believe. Because they are of the group of people who said, well, we'll do it our way and live the way we want to. And, you know, right there at the very end of the coming of the Lord, then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get saved. But the Lord says, because you did not receive a love for the truth, that you might be saved, God himself will send you a delusion and you will believe the lie. So there will be the deception of the Antichrist and the delusion of God. Upon those who did not love the truth. So you better make up your mind today. That you're going to follow the Lord. Whithersoever he goes. You better get prepared now honey. I'm telling you. Because a lot of people. Because they didn't receive love of the truth. Even when this message is preached throughout the heavens. Cannot believe. Too late for some of them. And they'll take the mark. That's why it is very important right now that we walk with God in all the light that He gives us. That if we don't play with God and get deceived because we can get deceived right now. You will get deceived then. We ain't seen no pain yet. We ain't seen no trouble yet. We ain't seen no struggle yet. Like it's going to come upon the earth if we live to see that day. And if I die today, y'all bury me, put me in the earth. And when you're in the tribulation period, you'll thank God that I told you these things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all go find yourself a cave somewhere. 
No, I'm not telling you to do that. You do what God tells you. Preparation. You see, that's what God is doing. He's sending these angels to prepare them. Make a decision. Make the choice. I, I know I'm radical, man. I know I, I, I preach. My, my face is red. Got blood. I know that. But friend, I understand how important this is. It doesn't get no more important than telling people if you follow Antichrist that you're going to experience my wrath and then hell. The choice is yours, saith God. It doesn't get no more serious than that. I guarantee you if I, if, if you, you know what, if I came from hell today, if I died and went to hell, I guarantee you, you, you think I'm fired up right now, you ain't seen nothing. If I come out of hell... We need some people who have seen hell. Not just heaven. We need some people who have seen hell. We need some preachers that have seen hell. Now watch this. Okay. So we see the second coming of the Lord. He's standing there with Mount, Mount Zion with 144,000, the overcomers, glorified. But we see this gospel in connection with the end, with the angel flying forth. We see... Babylon is declared to a fall, and we see the next angel declare what's going to happen to those who choose Antichrist and the mark. And then now, watch this. He talks about the patience and faith of the saints. <laughs> Who's he talking to? Just tribulation saints? I believe he's talking to the church. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, say the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works. Do follow them. Because if you die in that tribulation period, you're going to be resurrected at his second coming. Not too bad. Just go get your head cut off. Say, hey, in a few hours, Jesus will go come back, resurrect me from the dead, give me a reward. After Babylon's fallen, marriage supper of the Lamb, I'm going to be with God in heaven. He's going to give me a reward. Then I'm going to come back, fight the battle of Armageddon with him. Can't beat that. Not so bad, is it? Just don't put me in prison days and days and days before you do it. Just go, just put chains on my hands, take me straight to the guillotine, lay me down so I don't have to think about it and just cut my head off. <laughs> I'm human. I know you look at me and say, man, this guy's right. He's crazy. He's, he's like, he's happy. He's excited about these things. <laughs> Now, I'm just excited about the Word of God for truth's sake. For truth's sake. <laughs> I had somebody tell me, he said, the reason why you preach like that to the church in America is because they're so carnal and you got to shake them up. Uh-uh, that's not why I preach this to the church in America. That is true. They need to be shaken up because they're so carnal. But I preach it because it's the truth. That's why I preach it. I don't have an ulterior motive to preach post-tribulation rapture and these things that follow to you other than it's the truth, man. Now watch this. Y'all awake? Now listen, this is beautiful stuff. I looked and behold a white cloud. Ah, yeah, this is beautiful. We've got Jesus. We've got him coming in the clouds. This is in connection with and adjacent to Revelation 19. You with me here? Now watch. He says, I look behold a white cloud upon a cloud, one set like unto the Son of Man having in his Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. 
And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice, say, sickle. With a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. The time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That is when the glorified church is raptured. That's when the glorified church is raptured. First the, first the two witnesses as heralds of the first resurrection post-tribulation, followed by the 144,000, their first fruits from off the earth, followed by the church in general, just like that. And this is when it happens. When the sickle is thrust in, the harvest takes place. That's when the glorified saints that are upon the earth are then raptured. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. And so at that time when we are raptured, Revelation chapter 11 tells us that's when the reward takes place. Hallelujah. This is amazing, isn't it? Marriage Supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, followed by the Battle of Armageddon. Well, let's see if that holds true with this chapter. Okay, we've got the, the wheat taken into his barn. Uh, another angel came out. Okay, let me see. Okay, uh, verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. All right? Now, what you need to see is that the word sickle is listed seven times here. Right? We have the, the reaping of the, the church or the rapture of the people of God with that first sickle. And then the second uh, angel here with a sickle is showing you the judgment on the wicked at the battle of Armageddon. Okay? To which we come back with the Lord to fight. So you see it? We've been raptured. And then the wrath is poured out in the battle of Armageddon. Right? And this is all in that 30-day period beyond the tribulation period Daniel 12 talks about. Now, let's read this a little bit, okay? What, let me just share this with you, and I'm coming to a close. Revelation 19, you see Jesus coming back with the saints. Here you see in 14, the Bible says he's sitting on a cloud. Well, he's coming in clouds first, that's us, and then he's coming with clouds, okay? It's the same event, Revelation 19 and Revelation 14, when you see Jesus sitting on the cloud coming. You here with me? In Revelation 19, he comes with a sword coming out of his mouth. With it, he'll smite the nations. Here, he's got a sickle. What is interesting is that Leo the lion in the constellation in the heavens, when we, and we taught the constellations to you, Leo the lion is seen with a sickle coming out of his mouth. Are you here? And Saturn, the planet Saturn symbol, is also a sickle. And from time to time, Leo the lion depicts the king and kingdom of God with a sickle coming out of its mouth, meet with Saturn, who is also has a symbol of a sickle. And those two lights in the heavens speak of the judgment of God upon the earth. So once again, you have the imagery here preached in the heavens. In this particular reaping, it is the judgment of the wicked. So we have the deliverance of the righteous and the judgment of the wicked. 
I know some of you are asleep, but that's okay. You go right here and sleep, honey. Hallelujah. And when you're screaming, Pastor, in the great tribulation period, help me. I ain't helping you, man. I, I gave you everything you need. I ain't helping you. I, I can't carry you no more. Get off my back. <laughs> you on your own, man. <laughs> but, but I don't remember, Pastor. That's why you, you slept the whole time. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, sand thrust in the sharp sickle, gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Right. The angel thrust in the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the sin. The blood came out of the winepress, even to the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. And this is the battle of Armageddon that happens after the bowls of wrath are poured out. When Jesus comes back and treads the wine press of the wine press of the wrath of God Almighty, go to Revelation 19. I'll show you the parallel. We have the harvest of the church raptured up. The first sickle, the second seal, sickle, uh, second angel with a sickle, I should say, is the judgment upon the wicked of the battle of Armageddon. So it should hold true that after 18, the fall of Babylon, we should see the marriage of the Lamb, the Lamb having been raptured. Previously been glorified. After these things I heard a great voice. Verse 119. Much people in heaven saying. Hallelujah. Salvation. Glory. Honor. Power. Unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore. Which did corrupt the earth with her fornications. And have avenged the blood of, of his servants in her hand. Got it? And again they said hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. Now that's Babylon they're talking about. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God. That sat on the throne saying amen. Hallelujah. Mm, interesting. I think I'll just throw this into you. The, the 24 elders seen crowned in Revelation chapter 4. Well, Revelation chapter 11 tells you it's post-tribulational that the crowns are given out. So it can't be. It's either that's the church seen in the future or that is a different people altogether, the 24 elders. The Bible says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude and the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. It's after the bowls of wrath, fiery judgment, the nations have fallen, that he takes Rahab. Got it? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen and clean the white, for the fine linen is the righteous of the saints. He said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. We preached to you what the testimony of Jesus was not long ago. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true and righteous. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire. On it, you see? So we've got that first harvest. But now we see the harvest of the grapes. He's coming back with the church now. And the Bible says, uh, he's, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Here it's a sword. There it was a sickle. 
Same thing, man. I mean, a sickle is nothing but a curved sword. That with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So do you see it? Do you see it? Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Lord. Last, last thing I need to show you, in connection with the fall of Babylon again, we see the resurrection and the rapture of the church. Go to Isaiah, let's see, 18. Can y'all hang with me for two more verses? I'm already out of, I've already beyond my time. But Okay, Isaiah 18. This, talk, this particular passage talks about Babylon. Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the, the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, Go, ye swift messengers, to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning, hitherto a nation meted out, trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. <clears throat> Are you with me? I believe that this could be a reference to uh, the 144,000 going up to Israel. Verse 3, All the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye, when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountain, and when he bloweth the trumpet, hear ye. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth are literally in the earth. So we have Babylon's made reference to in the verse two verses. And then we have the resurrection made reference to here. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth are in the earth. See ye when lifted up the ensign on the mountains and when he bloweth the trumpet, hear ye. That's the resurrection. And it's connected with Babylon. And her destruction. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest. Rest is the kingdom. Rest is the seventh day. So in connection to the fall of Babylon, you have resurrection. And you have the kingdom, the seventh day set up. I will take my rest and consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon herbs and like a cloud of dew. Dew speaks of the resurrection and also teaching. Deuteronomy 32. In the heat of harvest. For afore the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripened in the flower, he shall both cut off the springs with the pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. That is when he destroys the wicked. So we have the resurrection. We have Babylon destroyed. We have a harvest. The resurrection. Are you with me here? And it's connected with the seventh day of the kingdom, his rest. It's all connected at the same time as I'm trying to show you the time frame. Now go to chapter 18 of Isaiah, same chapter or ch ch prophet. Woe to the land shadoweth wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. See the similarity in the statement? Chapter 13. Okay. The sinneth ambassadors by the sea, even a vessel bush upon the waters. So I'm reading. I already read 18, didn't I? Okay, go to 13. I'm sorry. No wonder it sounded familiar. <laughs> I said, man, it almost sounds exactly what I just read. <laughs> That's because it was. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, yes, God's good. Chapter 13, verse 1. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see, lift ye up the banner upon the high mountain, exalt the voice unto them, shake the hand, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones, I have also called my mighty ones, 
for my anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people. A tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country from the end of heaven, even the Lord, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And then it goes on, and it talks about the destruction of Babylon. You got me here? Verse 19, Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, man, there's just so much here. And, and I think I'm going to stop there. But do you understand what you just saw in Revelation 14? You saw specifically those things that uh, are going to happen post-tribulational with the coming of the Lord. And you saw his warning. And you saw the bowls of wrath being poured out in that chapter. And you saw his rapture, his harvest of the bride. And you saw his destruction upon the wicked. Okay? At the battle of Armageddon. Let me go make sure you're with me. Chapter 14. Let's, let's close. Uh, verse 9. To the angel thrust in his sickle of the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast in the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even the horses' bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Same thing that was said in chapter 19 of Revelation. Are you with me? And also said in chapter 16. And hallelujah. They were warned in chapter 6. Go back to chapter 6. Let's look at the general overview of prophecy. They were warned. We see the seal judgments poured out. One seal per year. Takes you all the way to the end of the tribulation period. Up to the day of the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. Let's go to verse 12. I beheld when he opened the sixth seal. Though there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. Remember that seventh vial? The stars of heaven fell on the earth even as a fig tree cast their untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Heaven departed as a scroll and is rolled together. Every mountain. Ooh, that's interesting. Remember that flying scroll in Zechariah 5? It could also be interpreted a, fly, interpreted a flying sickle. Anyway, and here it says, The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were removed out of their places. Kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, mighty men, every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne, and what? From the wrath of the Lamb. Takes you all the way to the end of the battle of Armageddon. How did they know it was his wrath? Because chapter 14, they were warned. They were warned. For the great day, the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? To stand. Lord Jesus, I just thank you right now for your awesome word today.